everyone at the moment is talking about company culture, quite rightly. But how do you build a great culture? How do you invest in your employees? How do you create a culture of feedback which helps them to develop? Also, other things people are talking about is how do I automate processes? How do we make things more efficient? Simple as that. Well, this week on the show, we've got some veterans of the Back Self Show, Tom and Llewellyn from Switch, and now Make My House Green, who have come on the show to come back and share their story from where they were really early to now, but how a culture of feedback within their organization and operational efficiency has helped them to scale and become incredible. Hope you enjoyed the show. All right, guys, welcome back. Um, so tell me, last time you came on, you were switched, you've switched, and now you now <laughs> make my house green. Yeah, so I, I, last time we came on, we were delivering automated energy switching for households. Um, I think as we got deeper into it, we found more and more of our switched customers were keen to go green, but not just switch to a green tariff, which often isn't green, but like get solar panels or a heat pump or a battery or insulation. And it's it's like a hundred times more complicated trying to work out what the five thing in that space versus any switching. So, um, so just to confirm, so you made a business that was a hundred times more complicated or it's a hundred more times complicated for the customer? A hundred times more complicated for the customer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well. Um, but we had the data and the energy expertise to build the platform to answer those core questions that people had around, should I get solar panels or a heat pump? What will it cost? What's the carbon impact? How much will I save off my energy bills? Um, I mean, now with the energy price rises, you sort of always, always going to save enough. Um, so that, that's really shifted the market a lot. But. I love that. When you last came in, we had, I think we had probably almost as many questions as we had about anything. And people coming on talking about the fact that you guys basically were best practice when building your first product because you had, um, you basically just had a sign up email list and then you're like, but then you did everything in the back end yourselves. Yeah, so did you do the same thing this time? Did you, were you doing it all manually or were you using some technology? What did you, was I think it was similar this time, um, but the big difference with what we did with this business compared to Switch was we spent quite a lot more time iterating and interviewing customers. I think the first time around, we got something out there very quickly. We got feedback and we were sort of building the products that we were going, we were sort of listening. We were listening to customers who were telling us what, what we should build or what we should improve. Whereas this time we went out a bit wider to like the mass market and were interview. I think for about 18 months, we were interviewing customers, showing them product designs, not just our original users, which I think short circuited the learning curve of just having a product that everyone wants. And now with Make My House Green, we just can't stop people coming to us. For I mean, that's products. Just, that's such a horrible fucking problem. Yeah, it's a great that. problem to have. Really pissed constantly. Um, ah, too many customers. Um, but so, it's not. It's a nice, and it's it's nice to see that that just spending that time at the start. I think really, really understanding the problem, really understanding the solution, has just yielded enormous benefits now. And we sometimes use the analogy of like we switch, it all went well, but sometimes it felt a little bit like pushing a ball up the hill. Whereas with house screen like the. Balls fucked off down the hill. We're running after it. <laughs> nice. So, so okay. So let's dig into that a little bit um, and talk practically about what happened there. So you had you had the idea, and the idea I get wherever the idea comes from, it, it comes. And then, who did you speak to? How did you figure out who you wanted to speak to? And what questions were you asking them? It was really, really difficult trying to get hold of the right people. Mm. Um, so we were like, right, we need to speak to people who are interested in getting solar panels. So we bought some leads, spoke to those people, tried to interview them, but. They're a certain type of lead because they come through a certain channel. Um, some switched customers were useful, but not all of them wanted to go green. So you had to find the right people. 
Um, and it was it was really challenging trying to find that right person. Um, but we kind of eventually got there. Iterated the product probably twelve times over six months. Um, some small, some big um, changes, um, but then just got to that point where it, it was just really clicking. We had that clarity on that need of. I want to go green, but I don't know what's right for me. I'm really frustrated with the process. Someone just give me the answers. Yeah. Which is exactly what the, the platform does. And I think I think the process there was kind of for me there was like two key stages. One was the we're asking people very experiential questions of like the last time you tried to do this, what was wrong with it? So really like that really open ended question of what the last time you tried to do it, what what, yeah. what couldn't you do? So we really got the insights of what was annoying them. And then the second phase was all about well, we knew what was annoying people and what they wanted as a solution, but we would put what we thought was the solution in front of them and we'd ask them the classic product market fit question of if this didn't exist, how disappointed would you be? And loads of people were like, that doesn't really solve the problem because of X, Y, Z. And it was little tweaks like, yeah, we used to have the platform all on one page and people felt like it was a basket process of buying something and they hated that. So we got rid of the ability to scroll and that made a massive improvement to what... So the second phase was we knew what the key problem was, but it was just like that iteration of here's the thing, what do you think? And it took, you know, getting that product market fit from pretty much zero to up, up above 80% over the course of six months just by keep showing them a new... It's a great graph. Just starts at zero, straight, straight <laughs> yeah. out well above yeah. 40%, wow. which is Yeah, great. yeah, yeah, we can all relate. Yeah, um, yeah so, so, yeah, so you know, what is the key problem you're trying to solve? Took a while. And the, then actually defining that solution, even though it was the same thing we thought, took a while as well just iterating so the, the thing is there is just like that that happened because you were because you were constantly speaking to people and you were constantly iterating you didn't yeah. go in yeah i guess you go in with a hypothesis of um people are going to want this because we know that from our previous experience people want this they're trying to solve this problem yeah. but then the i guess the the actual problem you're solving and the solution you're providing that's just a process of iteration until you exactly. hit that, that that point and the experiential one's really important, I think, because um, one thing I see a lot from other founders we, we know, et cetera, is, is trying not to lead the witness of, you know, we think this is a problem, is it? Because everyone's just going to say yes. Yeah. You probably read the mum test, but, but you know, it's that classic, if you ask your mum, is this a good idea? She's going to say yes. If you ask your friends, is it a good idea? Probably going to say yes. Even someone on the street is pretty likely. Mm -hmm. they might give you a bit more honest opinion. Whereas asking the experiential thing is so open-ended, you're not really trying to validate, is this a good idea? You're trying to go, what? What is the problem? Yeah, that give us the real insight into actually what were people trying to solve. I had a really interesting uh, opinion on this recently, actually, on that exact point. And I think a lot of startups do this: is that if you have a founder, most founders are high energy. Um, they're very compelling because they convince people to come and work for them, and they get people to give them money and so forth. And so, um, and I particularly, I know if I go and tell someone an idea, they're gonna be like, "Yeah, this is a great idea," because you're excited, I'm excited. Yeah. There's so much emotion here; it's amazing. Yeah. They're not gonna give me genuine feedback. And so there's a, I think there's a, there's a technique there where find the most boring, miserable person you've got in your team <laughs> and get them to go. You guys did it yourselves. <laughs> you got then go and get them to go and ask the question because people don't feel the same kind of, they're not being led yeah. by your enthusiasm. And we all relate to it, right? Like we've all, someone's told us something and we've gone, that's a, that's a terrible idea. And you've gone and said to someone like, because it's rubbish. And then if you ask yourself, what did you say? You probably went, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah sounds no. sounds good. Have you thought? Yeah, but maybe thought about this. But yeah, sounds good. They've gone away from that, going. 
He thinks it's a great idea. <laughs> no, I mean, look, there's a lot of people who are very unhappily married who've been down the same path. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, yeah, yeah. you should get married. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's so awkward. I don't want to break up with you. No, I know what you mean. I think it's absolutely really smart. You guys talk a lot about investing in your team. What is your advice around how you can invest in your employees to help them improve? So I think a, a couple of things are, are really important to us. So one is just making sure there are regular sessions that are fully focused on feedback and development. You don't end up talking about work. It's purely focused on you and your skills. Um, and that we have those every single month with, with your line manager, sometimes every week in the first month when you first come on board. Um, and those are focused on what are you doing really well? What can you improve? Have we got clear goals? Do we have smart actions to help achieve those goals? purely development focused um, and we also have then an appraisal every three months which will be with your line manager and also your development manager who you don't necessarily work with all the time but that is there for you to help focus on just your development not on your kind of day-to-day -day work and so the kind of investment in our people comes from just having a lot of time but also brain space focused on thinking about how do we help this person improve and this person develop and, and kind of build the skills that, that they need and how do you how do you create a culture whereby your team want feedback because like that the, the truth is like some people take it really hard some people don't want to hear it obviously you know you guys are complete so you guys don't need feedback yeah so <laughs> but like, you know, we, we get feedback from me <laughs> as well all the time. Yeah, yeah i bet yeah same yeah all the time your shit <laughs> the, uh, but like you it's how do you create a culture where people want feedback, understand the value of it, and don't feel like they're getting criticised? I think one of our values is know what you want to develop and promote the development of others. And it's, as the one I was saying there, the key thing really, I think, is, is having it in the diary. So if you don't give people regular feedback and have those development sessions, what tends to happen is the time when you get that feedback is when it's too late. So what happens then is six months in, you pull someone in a room and you're like, like, oh, this is rubbish. Like you are, mm. this is really not on. I think it might be time for you to leave or if nothing happens in the next two months, it's curtains for you. Also, not just like ability to do the job, but also getting on with people. If someone annoys you and rubs you up the wrong way, I mean, when I talked about, yeah, we're in like basically like a marriage, right? We've been five years of being co-founders, right? And so that's sort of like a marriage. And There'll be stuff that annoys Luan and that I do. And loads. Stuff that Luan, Such a long list, right? right? Just yeah. both of you. So we I have people... got a WhatsApp so yeah, exactly. with his wife so <laughs> they can complain about the state. <laughs> Similarly with that having regular diet, we have a session every month where we go through that. So what happens is none of these things escalate into something they don't need to be because it's like the last couple of weeks you've been a bit like, oh, sorry, it's actually because I'm quite tired because of X, Y, Z. Like, so by having it regular in the diary, it doesn't become a bigger thing than it needs to be. And so then people start to enjoy the feedback sessions because you have a feedback session after we have a, every week for the first month, then every two weeks, and then eventually every month. You go into the session knowing what you're trying to develop, knowing that the person's trying to help you, not terrified that you've been here a year. And is this the moment where yeah. it's curtains or is this the moment you get promotions? So you're, you're aware the whole time. And that goes back to that, that value of you know what you want to develop at all times is something that then excites people because they're just trying to get better. And I think the reality is everyone wants feedback. I've heard loads of people complain they don't get enough feedback. Yeah. Rarely do people say, oh, I get too much. You're right. It needs to be constructive. So it needs to be focused on the positives and these are the things to improve. Um, and that's super important. Um, I think as we scale, one of our challenges will be how do we make sure that we get direct 
and constructive feedback filtering through across across everyone yeah yeah i think it's true and i think that you um is that myth that when someone says to you uh what's your what's your boss like and they're like oh yeah they're super chill it's really it's really great you know the second that person moves into a team where their boss has and bit more of a culture of feedback. They're like, God, my other boss was shit. Yeah, I had yeah, no yeah, idea yeah. that I was no, never I was... improving and nothing, I was ever getting anything yeah. done. And I think everyone ultimately wants to get better. And yeah, the only way you can yeah, do that is, yeah. is, is through feedback. I was, I was just going back to that point of, I think the key is having it regularly in the diary. I also think if you don't have it regularly in the diary, you get bad at giving feedback. Yes. Yeah, it's so true. I have at the back of my book, a section for everyone that I have as development manager or line manager. And all the time when I'm interacting with, I'm writing notes so that when we have a feedback session, it's like, have you got an example? Yes, well, here are three examples from this week of where I thought this was the case. So by knowing it's in the diary, you also have to be always thinking about it. So you, I think the other thing you see in some big companies is they have a feedback session once a, once a year and that feedback session is like, oh, it'd be great if you're a bit better at PowerPoint. And oh, that's not very helpful. Yeah, I, I'm with you, mate. I think it, I also think like if you have, I don't... <laughs> I think exactly what you're saying. You have to create an environment whereby you're giving it all the time. And I think putting the diary is really smart. So you have that, have that session. I hate meetings, so I will never do that. But the, <laughs> I, get, I get like it is a, it's a really great thing to do. So ultimately, the, the, the best benefit you can ever give anyone in a business is you're improving their, their, them at their job. So they leave your business better at their job or you know, more money, more experience, more everything than when they started. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Now, the next thing. So we had um, uh, this guy, Anthony Collias, on the other week from um, TreePoint. And he spoke a lot about sales automation. Okay, I get sales automation, things like, you know, just sending out automated emails and so forth. Everyone gets that. That's a pretty standard function. And most people are moving towards that. But when we spoke before the show, you spoke about operational automation. I was almost sick just at the notion of talking about operations. But of course, it's really important and it's a real time sink and energy sink. And you guys have seemed to create some kind of black belt system whereby you automate much of what you do. Um, which I think is really interesting considering at the beginning of your journey, you were the complete opposite of automation. It was just everything was manual. Yeah. So, so help me out. First of all, tell me what is operational automation and um, why is it important and how do you do it? Tom will be able to talk much more about the detail than I can, but we, we started off in the same way, doing everything manual and then moving to be more automated. Yeah. Now switching someone's energy supply, there's quite a lot there. You can automate getting solar panels on someone's roof, obviously, much more operational complexity so we've got a network of installers on one side we've got users on the other there's all sorts of forms you've got to fill in and send off to network operators you've got to get the right kit ordered make sure it arrives on site make sure the survey date is booked make sure the install date's booked and gradually we've just been automating more and more of that so the platform just sits in the middle doing all of this admin making sure that the right booking dates are available for the installer so they know they can book this book the date for the installation a day that works for the customer without any email back and forth it's just choose your dates they choose their dates all matches up um we did a, a board meeting last week and there were about i think 12 to 20 hours of, of 
essentially admin that doesn't need doing that we already automated over the last couple of months that every other installer is still doing because they don't have that kind of that real operational excellence that, that we've built into the team and so how did you go through that journey did you start off so that's i mean i'm this is my, my brain's going mad thinking about this so you had like a list of like 100 things that you were doing for every exercise so the, yeah so the, the the broad structure of of any operational efficiency is there's sort of three letters it's like efficiency Pareto, and then the action so it starts with the efficiency bit which is what what are you trying to improve is it hours is it number of processes you do like what is it often it's time right often it's a person's time the first question is efficiency so you need to collect data on how how well are they performing often that if the time can just be sitting next to someone or looking at the calendar, like, what did you do that day? And you might find that, you know, what you categorize as green time, which is great, amber, which is you want to get rid of as much of it as possible, and red is to just, like, completely be cut out. So you might say, you know, you've got all these meetings in your diary, they, half of them can go. You're spending yeah. loads of times on forms. So first you get how efficient it is, and you need to know what that metric is. Second bit is the Pareto. So w William Pareto was an Italian economist who said 80% of the world. By 20 Many of, of us pronounce it Pareto. Pareto, but, Pareto. But it's fine. Yeah. You you add in the knee. Basically, an ordered <laughs> ordered bar chart, right? So yeah. you you go well. This is the efficiency. The biggest bar is that we spend ages doing X, uh, filling in a form to the DNO, which take which is the distant network, which is boring, but it's the answer for our case. That takes our gurus seven hours a a, a, a week. But we need to know what that is first to yeah. know what's the biggest thing to hit. And then you can go, right, let's, let's, let's build something that does it automatically. But I think what most businesses get wrong, especially we used to be operational consultants, um, is they just work on the wrong bar. Right. So let's do some automation of our company. And what should we do? Let's make it easier to speed dial a customer because that will be cool. We'll yeah, that yeah. Start of each consultation cool. call, and then you measure it. You're like, how long does it take you to dial a number? Oh, it takes five seconds and I do that. 10 times a day it's like cool so the tech team just spent three days building something which saves you 50 seconds a week where actually there's something which you hadn't really thought of like yeah. creating a pack to send a customer which takes them an hour every time they do a call that you can just make it be the click of a button so most companies whether startups or not where they go wrong with automation is just work on the wrong thing and that's the hardest bit okay so just to to to, to recap that so first we'll figure out what it is you're trying to save yeah. yeah, and what is your metric of so where are you now and where are you trying to get to? So that's so you you give yourself a target a target as well. Okay, and that can and predominantly that's time, but it could be it could be could it, be could, be, it could be spend, I guess. It could be yeah. spend. It spends a good one as well if you're trying to cut costs. What what are you what what are you cut spending? What just are you trying to get via to? the podcast production team. <laughs> so just trying to cut costs. Um, the um the next thing is the Pareto Pareto. The, the Pareto. Um, <laughs> and so from there you look at so wait so you look. You get all of the things that, and you look at the efficient, uh, what you're spending time for everything, and then you choose the bar that's going to have the biggest impact. Yeah, so we're trying to categorize it. Is it good stuff? Is it green? Awesome, we want to do more of it. Is it amber? Necessary, but we wish we could do it in quicker time. Yeah. Or is it red? Just completely axe it. Okay, fine. And by axe, you mean automate? Yeah, or in your cost sense. Okay, Some just, of just... it is red. Why are we spending money on that? Yeah. Some of it's amber. Let's go to a cheaper provider. Yes. Some of it's green. All good. I love spending money on that. That's really interesting. And so for you guys, just as a success story, so you're saying that you've saved 21 hours per week per person. Is that what you're saying? Per install. So how long was an install before? 
Um, so you, on average, most, most people, most companies will be doing five installs per kind of installation salesperson. Um, our guru is already doing 10 per month. So, you, so you're doing 10, so you're doubling the amount of sales output. Yep. Because okay. you're because you're doing that and because there's more to, and there's more to go. Yeah, and our gurus yeah. aren't just doing sales; they are managing that install end to end from the first consultation call right through to making sure that you're happy with the installation once it's happened. And there's loads of stuff within that install journey that we've got rid of in order to free up more time for having those consult calls and having the feedback calls. It's to blow my mind because obviously someone as me and most of the founders that will listen to this will be a bit like, ah, I want to see revenue, I want to see revenue, or I want to. We've got that as well. <laughs> yeah, but like, that's what they want to talk about all the time. People are always like, how do I distribute better? How do I improve my product? But the reality of it is that you're, which is genius about this, is that by cutting out fluff, you're allowing people to do the work that really matters. And so you're, you're now allowing with the same number of staff to have a greater output and then generate more revenue as a result of it yes. and, and grow faster, yeah. which I think is absolutely genius. And the truth is, the best businesses are the people who achieve the most in the quickest time with the least resource. That's ultimately what Startup 101 yeah. is. Yeah. Um, I think just to reiterate the takeaway from this is not go and automate stuff. The takeaway from this is, is there some really important stuff that if you automate it would free you up a lot of time? Because it might be not a massive job, but then everyone's probably got something in their week that takes five hours that could be gone. Let's get rid of that one. And maybe there's a three hour one, get rid of that one. Then you can maybe stop. You don't have to automate everything, but it's making sure you're getting rid of the big bars, which for us, there were quite a few big bars, but by getting rid of those, it's massively improved the throughput of our team. So it's going really well. You guys have created a great culture where you're really investing in a culture of feedback. So your people are being improved all the time and you've made yourself hyper-efficient and you're, you found really great product market fit. How do you win customers? So at the moment it's, kind of two or three key channels so one is partnerships um so nationwide building society one of our investors we've got a pilot running with them um they're really keen to help their their mortgage book their people who've got a mortgage with them make their homes greener so pushing make my house green out out nice. to those customers um that's going really well and looking to ramp up up more through this year adwords people who are searching for how do i make yeah. my house green are solar panels right for me we answer those questions for them so that works really really well for us um, and then now we've done a few more installs. We're starting to see more and more in terms of referrals. Um, so, you know, we're, we're doing an install for someone who's next door neighbor. We did last, last mm. month. Um, and we'd be like, well, we don't actually need to do your, your survey because it's exactly the same house. So we know what system you're going to need. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we've got your energy profile. So we've already mapped that against the output. Great. We've also got a fantastic handle on what questions people want answered. Of course you have from the past customer we research. Speak to, well, so we speak, yeah, yeah. we speak to so many people who are yeah. interested. So the list we make of common questions is the stuff that people are searching. So it's like a self, self-reinforcing thing of as we, as we do more and more consultations, we learn more and more what people are trying to answer so we can get that SEO content out to help people answer that. That's a really smart move. So one thing in the show that we talk about a lot um, this season is the startup sin bin. So something that you wish wasn't happening in the startup world but happens all the time. So I think there's, a, there's one of just... You only ever see the wins, you know, on your LinkedIn feed, you see company X has just raised 100 million. Our, our team's tripled this year. Um, you see the stats that make it seem like everyone's smashing it. Um, you never see the hard graph that's gone in to get to that peak. You don't, you don't see that trough. Um, and you can also just always make a statistic look good and, and pump it out. And if you say it is good, people think it is. Um, so you just get this kind of 
glossed over view of everything as if it as if it's perfect rather than seeing the harsh reality um i guess it's like linkedin for startups is like instagram is for teenagers yeah. <laughs> it's so true it's and the so more true. you're in the world the more you realize knowing people better and better that it's typically not true and everyone's it's always difficult and it's always difficult i i and i agree with you i hate i my thing at the moment is i uh but big bugbear is when people um you see on linkedin they're like um oh how can we yeah can we get rid of hustle culture yeah fine go on mate go on dummy don't win <laughs> you're like yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't glorify hard work. Okay, fine, don't glorify it, but that's what you need to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah you you can't start. You guys, when you started your business, and you're like, yeah, I've got time freedom. Yeah, but you still have to work all the time when you start your business because anyone who says to you, yeah, I want to start a business and I'm now my own boss. Yeah, you are. That means you have to do everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah people forget that. Yeah, They're like, and don't... pay yourself way less and all these. <laughs> yeah, things, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pay yourself less for ages. You know, yeah. like I didn't get paid for the first eighteen months of running this, and they're like um how do you survive i didn't <laughs> it was miserable do you know what i mean it's yeah, that thing yeah, yeah. but people don't talk about that they um they glamorize it and they talk about you know i've raised and also raising money isn't success no it's no. success for raising money yeah. and the problem is you get the money in and then you're like how much time have i got to... okay i've got a vc why haven't you grown this much yeah. you have to do this one thing actually i want to ask you i hate cvcs um, and always turn down money from them. But you've been really successful yeah, with them. Yeah, yeah. It's really so, good. been brilliant. So you just leverage their network and that's really worked for you. Yeah, I think you've obviously got to have really good alignment. Um, so we've got Inspired Energy and Nationwide Building Society. Nationwide have obviously got a massive customer base, 60 million customers, 1.5 million mortgage holders. And they're keen to help them save money on their energy and make their homes green. So there's a, there's a great synergy there. Um, Inspired Energy know a huge amount about the energy industry. Um, so being able to pick their brains when we want to know about how certain things work has been, been incredibly valuable as well. Amazing. So I was just thinking about one other thing on your Simbin one. <laughs> Keep um, going. Yeah, Bring them all out. The other one, it's, it's in the same vein, but um, something I see a lot is people slightly lying about how long they've been running the company. So I think we have this thing from watching the social network or being kids when Facebook came out that like people think that you know, maybe two years you'll have made it. Two years you'll be big. But every startup you look at pretty much has done really well. They're in their five, seven, eight year when it really like takes over the world. And there are exceptions. But I think a lot of founders I see go into it just thinking, you know, when they're in year two and it's still tough. They're like, how is it still tough year two? You're like, yeah. well, it's a much longer game than that. We talked about it near the start of the business. I said, you know, a lot of what we're looking at other companies, they're in their fifth year. And this is the first time I think we're both like, it's going really well and yeah. really well. It's been going well before, but and we're five years in and there's still a long way to go. You know, it's just that time period. People, they don't tell the truth about when they started. They, they don't. And also, but they... Um, but I, we I only think, started 18 months ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah exactly. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. We've been running 18 months and look how much real, revenue we have. It's not a, true. There's a very, very famous business in the UK, which um, was uh, has grown exceptionally quickly and did really well in the uh, in the... In lockdown, I always say who is some mates of one of the founders, and um, the the truth is, so they they'd been running for four years, for four years in the background, building the tech, bringing the market, and it was slow. It was really slow, and then lockdown hit, and they they started doing really well, and they got some investment, and the VC said, right, shut the company down, start a new company. Okay, they started a new company, they changed the name, and they said, right, this is the new business. <laughs> And then we're using that as a signal. And then in, in lockdown, they went for like, oh, within two months, we're now at 
six and i'm like i was like you cannot build a product that quickly like yeah, yeah. this is a fucking joke but that's what's on linkedin and, and, it's it's not true. and they're like oh they've been around for two years and they've raised um a hundred million you're like are you shitting me and i had it when i was raising people said how old are you and i said well i incorporated the business uh three weeks before i came up with the idea because it was for another business idea i had and i couldn't be bothered to get another company incorporated on company's house. So I just changed the name. <laughs> and yeah. they were like, so that's officially when the business started yeah. in terms of when we actually started doing it. And then I had the idea, does it start then? We actually started, I employed my first employee six months later. Does it start then? I first shipped the product uh, another six months after that. Does it start then? Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. and for me, I'm like, I, I reckon a business starts the moment, the moment you write down an idea on a piece of paper. Yeah. Yep. That's when it starts. Guys, thanks so much for coming on. I love that it's going, it's going well. Um, slowly, but now brilliantly fast. Yeah, brilliantly fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it. And so, uh, congrats. And um, that I wish you every success. And thanks for sharing those amazing inputs. Yes. Pleasure. Cool. Thanks for All having right. us. Thanks,